0: to episode number 116 here on the huskies warming house podcast it is late in uh our saturday evening and we are pushing saturday the threshold day. of yeah what late actually is um if you're wondering who we are we are the huskies warming house podcast i'm noah grant and nick Maxon is joining me uh just after 11 o'clock and an absolute ass kicking from the colorado avalanche over tampa yeah. bay um nick i know that you picked tampa to uh Get through the conference finals. You were right on that one, but uh, it's not
1: looking so hot
0: for the the squad
1: in blue so far. No, uh, game one could have gone either way. Um, good some good in game adjustments, and then again, just a, a you do the right thing by blocking a shot ends up going to uh, a Colorado stick makes one pass, and Bastoleski's caught in between. So yeah. a decent game one. Uh, game two, mm, hmm. no.
0: Well, let's hope this episode goes
1: better than that. We are going to talk about the Stanley Cup
0: final through the first two games as we are going to get right into the heart of it coming up in the main portion of the show. We're also going to talk a little bit about some coaching vacancies, some teams that have roles to be filled. One of these is actually close to being signed, actually, since we created some of the notes for this show. So we'll talk everything related to the coaching vacancies around the National Hockey League. And then our extra ice session. Who are the most attractive free agents in the National Hockey League? And now with Shea Weber. On the move. Uh, what does that mean for Kevin Fiala? Is there any Shea update? Weber's contract is yeah on the move. Well, Shea Weber is connected to his contract technically. I mean, yeah. Well, yeah. Well, well, talk about it. We're worried about him being just connected to his appendages at this point. Um, yeah, right. <laughs> but nonetheless, uh, we also do have a very quick Huskies Illustrated Weekly Roundup. We do have a couple of signings as well as a couple of trades and some more Hockey Canada updates. So lo- let's get to it. Without further ado, as usual, the Huskies Illustrated Weekly Roundup and Center Ice View here's the Notes. Center Ice View news and notes. Center Ice View provides you with the best coverage of St. Cloud State Huskies hockey from game notes, recaps, photos, and more. Go to centericeview.com.
1: As you mentioned, Noah here. Center view few news and notes, and the Huskies Illustrated Weekly roundup. Uh, continuing to follow the news with hockey Canada again, stemming back to the uh, sexual assault uh, back from 2018, and it, it appears that more pressure is being placed uh, on some members of hockey Canada to actually come testify about uh, about the case. Uh, Canadian Heritage Standing Committee agreed Monday. Um, for Hockey Canada officials to testify about an out of court settlement of a sexual assault lawsuit, again, as we mentioned before. And as we talked about this before, Noah, one thing that really drove me nuts about this was the non disclosure agreement. And this is exactly what they want to hear Hockey Canada talk about. Um, so, who is involved in this, right? So, we have uh, Hockey Canada CEO Scott Smith, former CEO Tom Rennie, uh, who's also been a head coach uh, in his tenure. Uh, Edmonton Oilers, former head coach, mm-hmm. uh, former senior VP of insurance and risk management, Glenn McCurdy. Um, you would think that somebody with that kind of would have maybe mm, been more involved in this, but we'll, we'll, we'll digress from that. Yeah, uh, sure. Foundation chair, David Andrews. And among those being asked to testify in Ottawa on June 20th, per Rick Westhead again, uh, who uh, uh, Rick we- uh, Westhead of TSN, always mm-hmm. uh, on top of these sort of things, uh, really did a great job with the, the mess in Chicago. Um, is, again, on top of this one, again, involving Happy uh, Hockey Canada. Now, they do have the option to um, decline this invitation. Um, If they don't respond or decline to testify, they'll be summoned to do so, um, MP uh, Peter Julian said. So, in other words, uh, some pressure coming from those in government uh, to Mm. really hear why this happened the way it did. Now, I think this is an inch. I think we have to set the tone here, right? Noah. So, as we mentioned before, I think the first time we talked about this with the non disclosure agreement, it doesn't appear, at least from the government and what they're saying, is that it doesn't sound like they're going to be opening up Pandora's box here and we're going to learn maybe more about the incident. But it does seem like they're trying to understand why a non disclosure agreement was pushed. And it's been my quarry uh, since we first talked about it. And I'm curious as to your reaction from uh, from this latest development on this uh, issue back from 2018.
0: Well, unlike the Arizona Coyotes, this is a case where you can definitively say progress is actually progress in this particular instance. Um, Yes, Coyotes fans, I went there again. But, uh, you know, (laughs) it's it it, it is a step in the right direction. And if anything, we're going to get a little bit more clarity on the situation because, Unlike the coyotes, this is a situation where we as the general public are not privy to a whole lot that is going on beyond what has been obviously stated in the media here so I you know it is a step in the right direction will we ever get to that point where we are going to figure out who those eight names are I don't know, Um, I also don't know as far as the legal system goes if. If uh, you can legally rescind uh, uh, an NDA, I wonder if that has to come from both parties. I'm it assuming would have to come from both parties. Yes. Yeah, or something, something along that lines in a clause where legally it makes sense to, to do something like
1: that. I don't know that we're ever going to get to that point. I don't um, think so. Because normally, not to butt in Noah, but normally when you sign it, I mean, you are, like you mentioned, the first time we talked about it, there was, you know, there is a, an appetite for the victim to maybe sign something like this because uh, the victim typically wants to be out of the limelight, not to be, yeah. unfortunately, um, you know, spotlight and, and not the, the best way, you know, and I'm mm-hmm. not sure how else to phrase that really uh, any better. Yeah. Uh, so apologies at, for the words. It is late. Yeah. Night. Yeah. Um, at, at no fault of her own is basically, right. Exactly. You know, it's just, so, it's,
0: it's a poor situation and, and you know, I, I think, It's interesting. And this goes back to we've seen this um, when victims uh, of any type of assault do come out. They are worried about the backlash. And I think uh, as a precedent moving forward, you know, we obviously don't want anyone to end up in a situation like this. But if you are in a situation like this there, uh, I can say that, especially with big name people involved in something like this, that not signing an NDA and finding out who those people are is actually going to put the pressure on the people that ultimately should be held responsible for this. Um, and that's right. an, and that's an important step. Uh, but as you kind of mentioned, we're kind of more looking at the financial piece and why was this NDA signed and also how was this situation handled by hockey Canada? And moreover, did it use public funds to go through this too? So um, a lot of things up in the air, but I think steps in the right direction.
1: Yeah, well, have to keep uh, keep our eyes on it um, now, in response to this summons, right, uh, Hockey Canada did also release a statement um, saying that, you know, quote, we can definitely or we can say death uh, definitively that no yeah. government funds were used in the recent settlement of the lawsuit and uh, quote. No, also Canada sport minister uh, Pascal St. Ange has also ordered an audit. Of the entity's financial activity uh, just to ensure um, or determine, I should say, whether any of those funds were used. Again, not taking at anybody's word. And again, we'll have to uh, just continue to follow the story. Again, uh, not great, of course, at face value, but uh, I am intrigued as to what yeah. we may find out about this and, and more so if, um, if Canada does anything to sort of uh, I don't know, address this for anything in the future. Um, yeah, I would think yeah. that maybe their only real avenue would be if indeed public funds were used because, again, you can't deny um, the legal process from somebody if they want to sign an NDA because, again, as you mentioned, there's both the victim as well as the the, the suspects or the perpetrator, however you want to deem that person to be. Um, so, again, interesting story. We'll yeah. keep following it, uh, it but it, definitely it, progress. It, go- it goes back to the principle
0: that we've talked about for the past couple of years, though, is that Hockey Canada, the people within Hockey Canada and the precedent that Hockey Canada sets for young hockey players, coaches, fans, parents alike has to be better when we go through some of these things. But we're going to find out, like you mentioned, June 20th. That's coming up on
1: Monday. So we're going to have some answers hopefully soon. Correct. Um, speaking of answers, we have at least have one answer on uh, what Las Vegas, uh, the Golden Knights, are trying to trying to do to try to fix or at least put a bandaid on their um, not great cap situation as they traded mm-hmm. for defenseman Shea Weber to Vegas uh, for former for Ford Evgeny uh, Dodonov now. Um, Credit to the Anaheim Ducks Twitter (laughs) handle, um, (laughs) where after this was released, because mind you, um, I believe Vegas was trying to send it on up to Anaheim, Mm -hmm. I recall, um, for uh, a a trade deadline acquisition. Mm -hmm. And uh, because of a technicality, it fell through. And uh, very quick on the dot, they just responded on Twitter, you sure? (laughs) It's yes, they are. Sure. That was, that was well, that, uh, that had me laughing pretty hard. That was very well played. Uh, so yes, yeah, so the goes over to Montreal, 43 points in 78 games. Um, one year left on a $5 million deal for the now, uh, Montreal Canadiens. Uh, this is a great pickup for Montreal. And I, I want to go to the point that, uh, uh, that was brought up in the Steve Dangle podcast to Noah, about mm. this trade. And that was, uh, Kent Hughes, the GM of Montreal was asked, you know, why he would make this deal. Um, And he essentially said, and this opens up an LTIR conversation that we'll probably have to have again in the future, but basically saying, I would not make this deal. If Shea Weber was ever going to play again.
0: Yeah. Did you,
1: Uh, did you, did you beat me to my own punchline on the show that I listened to? I like that. That's awesome. Uh, Uh, You know, and it's, it's a fantastic, it's a fantastic question because again, there's so much talk about LTIR and it's funny because I think for Minnesota wild fans, I've mentioned this before. The Minnesota Wild were rumored to be in on the contract for Shea Rubber at the trade deadline as well. Um, They did not like the return that was being or or that they was wanted in return. And Um, and now the price is much too high. And now the price is much too high. Yes. So um, while they're going to be in a position where they're going to have to maybe um, I don't want to say circumvent the cap, but play within the rules that appear to circumvent the cap, even though everything that everybody (laughs) has done has been within the league rules. Uh, But Shea Weber's contract, even though you say his body's attached to his contract, he will never be moving to Vegas, uh, (laughs) gives them, I believe, an additional 5 million in cap space to play with uh, Vegas, a lot of roster reconstruction um, and also a new head coach. There are Noah Grant. So a lot of things changing Uh down there yeah. in the desert of las vegas i actually think it's 7.2 million that they gain um maybe is it 7.2 even, even maybe even
0: closer to 7.8 if i remember correctly it's a it's a fair amount of cap space and it's interesting shea weber's contract as the steve dangle podcast did allude to was a was an oddly backloaded and front-loaded contract it's a yep. weird mix where um david poyle signed him to a 14-year deal when he when he had to match it was matched the offer was sheet matched. For, for the philadelphia flyers um and uh, yeah, and ironically,
1: it wasn't Chuck Fletcher offered the deal.
0: Yeah, we're gonna get to him. We're gonna get to him <laughs> in a second. Um, you know, and oddly enough. As the podcast also alluded to, Dodonov, three points in 78 games, like you said. 16 points in the last 16 games since he was not yes. actually dealt to the trade deadline. So, um, all in all, uh, as long as Shea Weber doesn't wear uh, an NHL uniform again, a great pickup for Montreal and, uh, um, you know, a pretty savvy move, I think, for the Habs who desperately need a little bit of a boost from a guy who could easily be a 20-goal scorer on this squad. But, uh, and a yes. loading
1: dead cap for them as well. So, for Montreal, a fantastic uh, deal to be struck and uh, you help out, Maybe a little bit to Vegas, even though again, as you mentioned, still a lot of reconstruction that has to be done. But uh I think good for both teams.
0: Yeah. And Anaheim was on the no trade list for Dadonov. So that's what held that piece That's up. what it was. Yeah. And, and uh yeah, Montreal. You should, the, oh, geez, that's cool. <laughs> the, the Mecca of hockey was definitely on the destination for the former Vegas Golden Knights forward. Speaking of the Knights, uh they did get probably their biggest uh offseason acquisition splash so far. Uh adding their new bench boss and Bruce Cassidy coming over from the Bruins after his firing Uh, the 57 year old uh, reported five-year deal at four and a half million dollars per season. You know, it's interesting because uh, dare I say, and we're going to talk about another coaching hire too. dare I say Bruce Cassidy in Vegas, he's going to do a great job. He's a, he's a great coach, right? It, It almost doesn't seem right. And the reason I say that is because, He did such a good job in Boston. I think he was well-loved by a lot of the fans in Boston, which in the city of Boston or in the New England area is more easier said than done in the locker room. Yeah, I (laughs) guess, but you know, apparently being the key word. Yeah, I, Vegas has got their own set of problems that Bruce mm-hmm. Cassidy, maybe his rhythm of how he does things maybe might not mesh so well with the management piece. But again, he's a straight shooter, so maybe that's exactly what the Golden Knights need. It's just weird to not see him behind the bench of a team that far on the West Coast and a team like Vegas, who in the few years of their existence has had some tumultuous ups and downs as far as some of the offseason season pieces that has gone on. But regardless of that, uh, a great winning pedigree and a great pickup for the Knights just on paper.
1: Yeah. On paper, great pickup. Um, And again, it it wasn't long. I think he said that, you know, it would took almost 24 hours and then his phone was ringing off the hook. And uh, uh, I, I think as a coach, you know, Vegas is an attractive place to play with some of the offensive talent that you have to work with. Um, you have some glaring holes, um, especially between the pipes. Um, but I think there is a great opportunity to 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 really coach for I, I think a community in Vegas that I'm starting I, I can't believe I'm saying this it. is a hockey hotbed. Yeah. Vegas has really embraced um that hockey team down there, and they are all love for that squad. So
0: the only for problem Bruce, is
1: Vegas isn't all love for their own squad. Correct. So, <laughs> and again, you know, a lot of, you know, a lot of great talent up front. We know Jack Eichel, Max Pacioretty, Jonathan Marsh. Just so just to name a few, Mark Stone. And again, this team decimated by injuries uh, probably should have made the playoffs, but really kind of fell apart late. Uh, Pete DeBoer was given the axe after such failures, because uh, it really was their race to lose, I think. Uh, yeah. But in the last couple of weeks, they really just, couldn't seal the deal. They lost a couple of close games that loss that I attended to against San Jose, uh, I think was the nail in the coffin for uh, that squad's playoff chances. So, um, I, I admire the aggressiveness also of Vegas and their front office to, um, again, after an expansion draft that was heavily wavered in their favor. Um, but they haven't stopped making moves. Again, acquiring Mark Stone, acquiring Max Pacioretty, acquiring Jack Eichel, Shay Theodore, uh, Mark andre Fleury is... What are the guys? Alex right? they Petrangelo. Have it. Yeah. Alex Petrangelo. So at the end of, you know, at the end of it, this team has not been afraid to make big splashes. Um, I admire that because they really are trying to win a Stanley cup. Um, and it sounds like they're trying to be as creative as possible to do so. Um, so it's been fun to watch, but it's almost like, you know, every, did, every good deed has, does not go unpunished. And you kind of wonder if some of the, uh, the seesaw is being weighted in the opposite direction for Vegas. So we'll see. Yeah. What happens in Vegas doesn't always stay in Vegas. Just ask Gerard it Glant. Sh- it gets shipped off to
0: Buffalo <laughs> for picks anyways. <laughs> <laughs> oh boy. Uh, speaking oh, right. of uh kitty corner to Buffalo um, and giving away assets for uh, no particular reason, the Philadelphia Flyers did get their coaching hire nailed down. And, uh, okay. Questions, uh, John Tortorella, 23rd coach in team history, four years at four million dollars per year. And I, you know, Jesus, and (laughs) and I think, I think at its base, and I think in the right market, John Tortorella still has value. My question is probably the only market he's got value to be honest. I say, I say my question is uh, do the Philadelphia flyers need a hard ass or do they need a motivator uh, within other avenues? And John Tortorella's motivation is he scares you into submission, essentially to play the style that he wants you to play Uh, for some players. That's exactly the boost they need. They need that structure. They need somebody on them that has that accountability beyond there. other players need a free flowing style that works well for them. Uh, this has the potential to be an okay chuck fletcher move or it has the potential to blow up in his face and have a buyout with a couple of years
1: remaining on this deal nick Brooksy, if i wanted to explain it to you i would um, <laughs> um this is it this is a very high risk move by chuck fletcher as you mentioned um with a with the departure of elaine vigno and again there was you know Warning signs of you know ripping at the seams with him under the helm. It never was recovered under Michael. And as much respect as I have for Michael, as I know him personally as a person and as a coach, yeah. as I, as a coach that knows the game, he's had his struggles with uh, the NHL level in head coaching. And again, yeah. it's an art form. Um, and you kind of wonder, and I think you set the table perfectly, Noah, that is, what does this team need? Does this team need someone that's going to essentially gather the sheep and put them in line effectively without, you know, a really better way to say it? Or do they need someone that's going to be a hybrid like a Dean Eveson where, you know, he, he does hold his players accountable, but also can, you know, crack oh, a joke oh, oh. and be approachable. Yeah. And almost, um, and almost step back and let the players handle what's need,
0: needed to be handled. Correct. And you talked about Mike Yo, And Mike Yo, we've talked about it so much in this podcast, was never a player's coach. John Tortorella is also not a player's coach, but not in the same vein. Mike correct. Yo just never really found the route in which to be a player's coach. John Tortorella's stance is, I'm not, he's, he's the Herb Brooks of the NHL. Yeah. I'm, I'm, I'll be your coach. I won't be your friend, you know? Yeah. And, correct. and we're going to find out if that Avenue of Philadelphia, not having a player's coach is going to be an effective one under the new regime, or if it's going to be their demise.
1: And it's, it's a very important part for this franchise. Again, uh horrible season. Number one, yeah. multi 10 game losing streaks. Um, you trade away the face of the franchise and Claude Giroux for a chance at the cup, uh, rip Florida Panthers, but whatever. Um, yeah. Again, so this is a very important year for the Flyers, and I would I would put money that uh, Chuck Fletcher's job is on the line this year. And if he does not, whether it's John Torello's fault, or we could always you know go back in hindsight. I believe Chuck Fletcher's job um, could hinge on how the season starts um, and also the upcoming yeah. draft. This is an inc- this is a very important transition time for Philadelphia. Um, a lot of. Uh, familiar pieces have been traded off. Uh, you you look at uh, some new blood that's in with, with, uh, with Noah Cates, with Bobby Brink, just to name a few, Ronnie Adderd. Uh, so they have some young blood in there. Do they respond uh, to John Tortorella? I think that's the bigger question, Noah, is that do you have these young guns who are probably not used to this sort of style of coaching? Do they did, did they respond to that? And do the Flyers as an organization, how long is a leech for both John Tortorella and also maybe Chuck Fletcher and maybe some others in the front office. I think that's the big question. If I told you that
0: Columbus, San Jose, Buffalo, Detroit, Ottawa, Chicago, and New Jersey were going to have better seasons than Philadelphia at the start of last season, would you have believed me? I would have
1: laughed, but I maybe, you know, maybe,
0: maybe one or two of those teams, but certainly not all of them. So uh, we're yeah. going to find out uh, if the city of brotherly love does have it figured out, or if there's going to be some infighting among the family, so to speak. Right. Uh, finally <laughs> uh, signing news. Let's uh, move Uh, To the other side of Pennsylvania, Uh, the Penguins have let it be known uh, that signing Chris Letang to a multi-year deal is their top priority this season. Uh, Evgeny Malkin has also expressed his desire to stay. And, of course, management has too. But I kind of thought that was interesting how uh, Chris Letang was kind of the front runner. Maybe they feel like that's maybe going to be the easier deal to maybe lock down. But I kind of think, especially with Evgeny Malkin being a career Penguin, um, as with Chris Letang, but with Malkin being a career Penguin and having that language barrier, on top of that, and knowing that Pittsburgh has been his home, you feel like Mulkin is maybe the more attractive option. But I know that I he's, had, so. he, he's had some injury issues. He's had some knee so problems. Tang.
1: Yeah. Um, and they're both getting old. <laughs> Let's be real. Uh, yeah. 20, $23 million you, in cap space. So, I mean, you, you kind of wonder, you know, because again, in public, they're both saying the right things. I want to be there the week we want them to be there. The question is, when you actually go behind closed doors, does it actually make sense? Does it work? And the penguins, I think, are under a little bit more pressure. Was it five straight playoff series losses? Or was it uh, four straight? Yeah.
0: Well, the, the, um, the one in the
1: playing round to Montreal really hurt. Um, yeah, so this and, team has been stuck in the first— they've been Minnesota Wild almost a little bit. Uh, can't get out of the first round for the last what, four or five years. Nick, we just talked about it. Chuck
0: Fletcher's on the other side of Pennsylvania. I know. <laughs> so uh, the club's other pending UFAs uh, include Ricard Raquel, who they got at the trade deadline, uh, Evan Rodriguez, uh, and backup goaltender Casey DeSmith. The RFAs are Kasperi Captain and, and Dayton Heinen. So, I mean, it's doable, and I think the move that management has expressed is you hope that those two stay so Crosby can also be a career penguin and finish out his career uh, in the Crosby black and Crosby isn't gold. going
1: anywhere. Um, I think the bigger question is is I think they're, they're looking in the mirror, and they're assessing sort of what the Rangers did. Was it now five years ago where they sent out that email to season ticket holders and even on social media says we're going to be in a rebuild, and this is going to be tough, but stick with us, and we'll come out of it better. And they have. Uh, Rangers that are a hell of a good, fun, young team to watch. Um, yeah. You kind of wonder if Pittsburgh, with their recent non-playoff success, with looking at their core, which has provided them with multiple Stanley Cups, um, but also has not had the results as of late, especially in the postseason. They've had great regular seasons. Uh, you kind of wonder if there's some internal assessing, and it's, it's, it's that giant red button, I right? It's like, mm. do I hit the nuke button? And I think that's kind of what as the upper management they're looking at is at what point do we push the button and they yeah. know. And I think everybody else knows that if you signal, if one doesn't come back, whether it's Malkin, Latang Tang has been resigned, but say he wasn't, you know, there, I think that's does signal what upper management might be thinking is. I think it's time to either piece by piece. Um, we're going to start to try to maybe tear this thing down. So um, interesting to see what they do with Malkin. I think they will keep him. Question is, and I think, my prediction, Noah, is Pittsburgh wants a short-term deal with Evgeny Malkin, maybe one, two years. And I think Malkin wants yeah. three to four. Um, again, he's been injury prone. Uh, he's not played a lot of games. He hasn't been able to stay healthy. So have to kind of wait and see what they do. But uh, I, didn't, I definitely think there's some uh, uh, some tough decisions coming for the Penguins, if not this season, but definitely next offseason, regardless of outcome. You mentioned internal retooling. We're moving
0: over to uh, some player uh, moves and player signings. Edmonton's netminder Miko Koskinen has left the National Hockey League. Uh, See (laughs) To sign Lugano (laughs) in the Swiss National League, pending UFA, a 903 save percentage, 27 wins in 44 games for the former Edmonton Oiler. I always think it's funny. Every time I see um, Lugano as uh, a destination, a hockey place, I always read it as Lanugo um, because of nursing. And Lanugo is the name for the fine hair that's on babies when they're born. So it's definitely not the same thing. Um, No. But speaking of uh babies growing into men, twenty-five-year-old Jeremy Law is on for the National Predators, four year deal, two million dollars per season, a pretty hard, heavy, physical, gritty guy. That's a that's a great pickup for Nashville. Yeah, low risk, high reward, former Boston Bruin. Um, just like uh Bruce Cassidy, he is no longer uh in Boston. Uh the New York Rangers uh inked uh Vitaly Kravitzov to a one year eight hundred seventy-five million dollar extension as well. So those seventy
1: five million. Holy hell. Uh thousand. Let's go with $1,000. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, the where highest. where is that cap head coming from? I <laughs>
0: uh, um the Vegas Golden Knights they have the room now. Um,
1: <laughs> I think you meant Tampa.
0: <laughs> yeah, well, anyway. uh, they're they're doing okay, but not as okay as they would like. Um, no. Moving a little bit farther north, our final little piece, our only injury coming actually from the Washington Capitals, Senator Nicholas Backstrom will have, yep. quote, a lengthy recovery for left hip surgery after missing 28 games this season. He had 31 points in his remaining 47 contests, a career low in points per game. Nick Maxon joining myself, Noah Grant. Nick, it's a pleasure to have you on the show as we are approaching the midnight hour uh, coming up on uh, well, as we would say, Nick, we're recording this on Saturday, but for the listeners, when you're listening to this on Sunday, um, we're eventually going
1: to Sunday the way this is going.
0: So yeah, oh, we definitely are. Uh, speaking of days, uh, I want to know what you've been up to for the past week. I'm going to start with my own story. I didn't do much besides work and had some time off, but I will say, Nick, uh, I know you're a working man, but if you ever find <laughs> a free afternoon uh i know it's not true to life entirely but i would give it an 8.8 out of 10 i did see the new top gun maverick movie and for cinematics alone holy smokes it was a fantastic flick as especially as far as sequels go so for those who have not gotten a chance to see it in theaters i went to a movie for the first time in four years and i gotta be honest nick i think even you would like it
1: so for those who can hear the background noise because i know what's being picked up um for those who can't see on the window behind me, it's littered with plants and cactuses. <laughs> um, it's it, it helps to describe someone's personality dry and prickish. But anyways, so um, but you know to help with that, you know you have an aloe plant that just got set in front of me, and apparently that can heal all wounds because if you take you rip it off, that's the uh, anyway. I'm getting off on a tangent, <laughs> so um, it's interesting because <laughs> first of all. You need to refresh my brain here. My ninety-year-old geriatric brain is lost, um, so please reset me. Were we talking about head coaching vacancies? We are in a in a sense. I just want to know how your week was going. I'm um, doing good, actually. I, I okay, would, so I, w- I would like I would like you to
0: know that the original Top Gun uh, will save you from yourself. Uh, you weren't actually please. born yet nineteen eighty six. God, no, I was born in that year. Yeah, but I weren't you weren't you a late eighty six? Define late? I think it was. A, I think Top Gun was a summer movie in 86, early well, summer movie.
1: Well, for those who definitely want to know, I was either a. <laughs> valentine's day baby or a new year's eve baby you you just you let me know i have no idea I was how yeah,
0: as one would say for those who are playing the home game yeah, for uh, those playing the home game yes <laughs> yeah uh, literally and figuratively i will say this it was uh, uh, the original was cheesy but in a, in an in a iconic way was this it one, monterey jack or colby <laughs> you know here's the thing well there were no holes in this one uh, uh okay <laughs> so maybe, it wasn't
1: swiss got yeah it.
0: maybe a little bit in the po- plot line i think if you really dive deep in it but i think that's the that's the aura of what top gun is but this one was much better than the original and that's hard to say for a sequel especially one that's waited decades so i'm um, speaking of things that uh involve decades
1: uh nick we've got you on the show how was your week oh, it's been busy he goes uh, he goes that you got to be kidding me <laughs> i know uh it, it's been incredibly busy um still working through um essentially some details I, I i guess maybe this is the time to to maybe make a preliminary announcement um very close to signing um, a deal uh, that would uh, put me not necessarily directly into a broadcasting firm, but would be uh, put me into a place to cover um, a lot of hockey over the next year. So I'm um, there's a uh, a counter offer that's out there. We'll put it that way. And if that gets essentially said yes, the likely likelihood of me inking that deal would be pretty high. So um, yeah. That's still doing some editing on the backhand, uh, still working on a feature of the uh, someone in the St. Clusty Huskies. So we're still doing some editing there. Um, Trying to breathe. I mean, seriously, I'm working seven days a week. So it's been it's been nuts. Um,
0: It's super exciting, though. You know, and for those who are wondering, the counter offer is Nick Maxson and seven first rounders for Martin Hansel. With Ryan White. (laughs) and how about uh who is the other one uh the first round pick for
1: the for the wild years ago zach uh that was uh zach mitchell yeah is that is that right or no zach phillips there you go yeah 28th overall yeah, yeah. um so yeah anyway um i do remember some things thank you
0: yeah um i'm impressed i'm impressed uh well I'm let's in, st-
1: i'm impressed too caleb would be like how the hell that happened yeah you, the you, light bulbs you, are on Noah. Or. And Caleb, just not in here. They're... No glass, no glasses, though. Uh, I the question context, is:
0: eleven forty-four at night. You think Caleb's up? What do you think Caleb's doing right now?
1: He's not up. There's no way. Yeah, well, he's not he, ju- at he he just he just tweeted like ten minutes ago. Okay, he can tweet from his bed. Big deal.
0: Yeah, he actually he actually tagged us. I bet she's on. So I bet you he's he's in bed. He's got his nighttime jammies on, and uh, he's sitting on social media, just trying to figure out the punchline for tomorrow. Uh, related oh, to one wow. of us, I'm sure I, uh, but speaking of punchlines looking towards the future, uh, why don't we talk about some, some coaching vacancies here? Um, yeah, I and We're going to talk about, uh, we have three coaching openings. So when I say openings, that means coaching uh, vacancies, literal vacancies, where there's not an interim coach in place. Um, and then we have uh, four teams, about to probably be three teams on this list, that have interim coaches here. Um, so we're going to go through those. And really, we're going to talk about not necessarily who do you think the best fit is. If you have a coach in mind, definitely I want to hear it, and we'll talk about it. Um, but really, more moreover, what do each of these teams need in the new coach that they're getting? What is the appropriate action uh, for their squads moving forward? So let's talk about Bruce Cassidy's uh, Boston Bruins for the first opening, uh, finishing fourth in the Atlantic Division at 107 points. That's not a phrase you hear every day. Um, no, no. 51 wins, 26 losses, five overtime losses.
1: They do not. Points and you finish fourth. How the hell does that
0: happen? Isn't that insane? Uh, they do not have a first round pick in the upcoming draft. They have a no. second, a third, a fourth, a sixth, and two sevenths, and about $5.37 million in projected cap space. So, Nick, the Bruins, they move away from Bruce Cassidy. It sounds like they need uh, a better better presence in the locker room, apparently. Uh, beyond beyond that, uh, this is uh, an interesting mix of players that, that the Bees have there. Uh, at uh, is it still TD Garden or do they have a new name for their uh,
1: uh, arena now? I can't even remember. Uh, it might be Wham Wag- Garden for the way that the <laughs> players are freaking whining. So uh, no. And this is interesting. I, and this hasn't been talked a lot about, Noah. I want to I want to talk about the Bro- the Boston Bruins as as an organization a little bit because their cap space isn't that great. They don't have first round pick. And dare we say this team is. Pretty old, yeah. Honestly. So, I mean, their best, you know, young for David X 26, but Brad Marchand's 34. Taylor Hall's 30. Charlie Coyle is 30 years old. How about that? Does that make you feel old? And I do remember reading
0: something, I don't think it was Bergeron, but I think it was David Craichy, was like, I'm not returning to this team if there's something something going on. And it's just yes. like I, uh, the, the weird, bees right? are in a
1: weird spot for a very, team that just came off 107.51 win season. Weird. Uh, Nick Foligno, 34; uh, Craig Smith, 32; Eric Holla, 31; Nosek, 29; Chris Wagner, 31; Patrice Bergeron, uh, one of the best defensive forwards ever to play the game, 36 years old, right? So, um, decently okay in the back end, but you know, if you look at the numbers, right, and you look at a coach that took a roster that's been, I think, mostly together the last four or five years since he's been at the helm, uh, they just couldn't get it done. Um, They had their opportunity in 2019 against St. Louis. Uh, The blues got their first ever Stanley cup win. Congrats to them. Uh, But you kind of wonder again, without a first round pick. So they traded it away at some point uh, to go for a cup run. Uh, You have no cap space. Does this not scream potential, like just inevitable rebuild at some point coming soon? Yeah. So you kind of wonder, you know, this, they're the most curious team here because if you're a head coach and you're looking at that Ford roster, you've got obviously some talent, but you got aging talent. You wonder when the drop-offs are coming, you wonder how much more you're going to be able to get out of, you know, your players from this. And then at one point, at one point does the front office just pull the plug? You know, they remind me of the Minnesota wild, maybe from like 2010
0: to like 2015, The, the wild were a team. I don't think they were as good as the Bruins are now, but they remind me of a team that they had an aging roster and
1: um Minnesota was kind of a place where players' careers came to die for a little bit. And say oh seven awake. because then that was Rolston, Demetra, right. some older guys there. Right. But
0: but where I where I say that is that the Wilds stayed afloat because they would have at least one or two aging contract that would either be re-upped at close to league minimum or they were on their way out because of retirements or whatever it was. Correct. And that's kind of how they stayed afloat. And they found that one or two draft pick or youth infusion or one trade that kind of kept them afloat that's where I kind of see the Bruins sitting right now and you look at the rest of the Atlantic Florida had a great year Toronto had a great year Tampa obviously is doing all right for themselves albeit the Stanley Cup final could be better um you know this Bruins squad is not looking like the competitive uh you know team to be in the top three that you go back a couple of years
1: they were one of the teams to beat at the top of the Atlantic here and that's very true and so in you know and I guess what's curious to me is I get it players have a lot of leverage when obviously multiple and it sounds like Patrice Bergeron is rumored to also have some disdain for Bruce Cassidy as well. Um, Again, going back to David Crecci is another one that at least has been rumored publicly. Um, Hmm. So if there's those two, I'd imagine there's maybe more again, we don't know for sure. Uh, But why would, I think the bigger question Noah is why would upper management pull the plug on a coach that got you to 107 points with an Asian roster. And you know that some of these same players who were, Making these claims may be out of the league at some point soon. Yeah, you know it, it's it's curious to me, and, and I don't mean that in any disrespect to Bergeron or Krejci, because again, uh, Bergeron's going to be a Hall of Famer, no questions asked. Uh, David Krejci has carved himself out a nice career, but you just you kind of wonder, as an organization, that if those are the voices that you're listening to, maybe, dare I say, Cassie, maybe got out of the best, maybe got out at the right time. Yeah. Dare I? Um, but then again, he's going to another very interesting location in Vegas. Um, yeah. so I don't know. I think you know, Ooh, do you do you do you bring in a veteran coach who, who can try to you know push them a little bit more, or do you bring in a younger coach? I think a younger coach for Boston at this point would be too high risk. So I see uh I could see honestly beer at trots there. Um yeah. they play more of a s- defensive system. I think you know there, there's enough firepower still. Um, for them to, to make some noise. But again, you're in a very tough Atlantic division that it's just completely stacked, especially now that Florida um, has kind of risen to the occasion. So uh, we'll see. Um, I think you're, you need a, a veteran coach in that group that can uh, mesh well with some veterans that obviously hold a lot of the, yeah. the vine power. I think we've seen that already. Um, and if, if, if I'm Boston, it's, it's going to be, it's ride or die right now. I think you're looking for another cup run, um, at least maybe in the next two or three years. And then I think at that point you have to blow mm-hmm. it up.
0: Yeah. Rick Tockett, uh, maybe Paul Maurice, a couple other names that I would throw in, in that mm-hmm. camp a little bit, maybe. So, uh, yeah, moving on over to, uh, the Atlantic division foe, uh, somewhat near the Boston Bruins, but not. Particularly close, the Detroit Red Wings. Um yes. they have uh head coaching vacancy as well. 32 40 and 10, 74 points good for six in the Atlantic. Uh, a pretty good stockpile of both draft picks and cap space. They have yes. a first, two seconds, a third, two or actually three-fourths. Three-fourths, a yeah. fifth and two sevenths, and uh just over thirty-five million dollars in projected cap space. They have missed the playoffs for now the sixth straight season. They were 26 points out of a spot this year. Uh Nick, uh Detroit needs a lot of things. Uh head coach. Notwithstanding, I thought they were maybe the team that we thought
1: was going to have a better year than they did. Um, right? Uh, they're um,
0: still missing a couple pieces here.
1: They are, and and we talked a couple of years ago how when this when the roster was constructed and after um, uh, Ken Holland left that it was kind of in disarray, right? That Jeff Blashill, okay, you know, not really on him. Stevie Y comes and takes over, and he gives Blashill an, an opportunity to try to turn the roster around. With Maureen Sider, to name one of them, with Lucas Raymond, some good young talent, still got uh, Dylan Larkin. uh, You got Tyler Bertuzzi. uh, You got some good young talent, but just not enough improvement. So it was the right decision to, unfortunately, uh, cut ties with Blashill. This is where I almost think, to me, the best fit would be for Barry Trotz because there was a lot of offensive... Greatness with Detroit, not great defensively. That was the biggest weakness, despite having uh, one of the better young defensemen inside really, really make his name known uh, this last season. So to me, Detroit, uh, I think they could go either way, right? You can almost bring in a young coach to mesh with young players. You could also bring in a veteran um, winning coach can that can settle them down defensively. Um, so can I go off the wall here? Yeah. Pete I mean, DeBoer. what else is new? Pete DeBoer. No. No. Pete DeBoer and the reason I say Pete DeBoer
0: is Pete DeBoer uh, for all of his for all of his woes in terms of his media presence both of the San Jose Sharks and with the Vegas Golden Knights has been able to play um with mixed groups with young groups with old groups and he's been able to play a more offensively dynamic style and the Red Wings um they need a little bit of defensive help or a lot they of do. defensive help. Um, I think some of that comes down to goaltending, but he kind of reminds me of a coach that maybe is looking for a new destination and a fresh start. And Detroit, under the direction of Stevie Y, mind you, might be able right. to give him that direction because of that general management influence and someone who might be able to keep the reins on on Peter and keep him kind of grounded into what the mission is and that's the on ice product and the day-to-day type things and keep him out of the extra creaklers as far as the media. So um that's my off the wall pick on this one. It's um, actually now that
1: I think about it, it's not the worst pick in the world, you know, um, and
0: I, and I look at the rest of this list that, to say, to say Pete DeBoer is not an NHL coach anymore, I think would be a stretch. I think that he does have a place here in this league. The question is I look at this list and I don't see maybe the next team on this list, but other than that, I don't think any, any, any other ones really kind of stick out, but Sure,
1: And and for Detroit, too, um, they have, I I think, a lot of where their future is going to lie actually starts with Stevie Y this offseason. Again, mm -hmm. a lot of draft picks, a lot of cap space. You kind of wonder how aggressive they might be in the free agent market. Does Detroit become a landing place for, say, maybe a Uh, Minnesota Wild player? Um, Especially with that cap space. Especially with that cap space. So you kind of wonder, do you add a little bit more offensive push, even though, They've got some, I don't think maybe enough, especially in a competitive Eastern conference. Um, they need more help on the defensive end. So, uh, but is Stevie Y ready to overpay for that? I don't think he is. I, I we know yeah. Stevie Y is a very calculated, very incredibly mm-hmm. smart GM. Um, uh, a big reason why Tampa is the, where they're at the last couple of years. So, uh, credit to Stevie Y. He's got, yeah. uh, yeah, he's got a lot of work to do. And, uh, I actually could see Pete DeBoer there now that I think about, but I also think Barry Trotts could do well there yeah. as
0: well. Well, we'll have to see. Uh, Detroit could definitely use a shot in the arm. Just ask Tyler Bertuzzi. Um, Oh, boy. Moving on to the Dallas Stars. uh, They are the last uh, team that has a true legitimate opening here in the National Hockey League. 46, 30, and 6 for 98 points, which was fourth in the Central Division. Actually, not too shabby of a year considering how up and down Dallas was. And Um, how literally, how anemic they were offensively. Yeah, um, they have a draft pick, uh, just a single one in every round. They are pretty... uh, Par for the course here a uh, projected cap space of just under 18 million dollars for this season their entire coaching staff will need to be replaced after stepping down nice. this past offseason um, and also both the stars and red wings are both eyeing defenseman jeff petrie who is at 6.25 million average annual value with three years left on his deal 34 years of age 248 points in just over 500 games with Montreal during that time. Detroit probably has the better cap space, but the better fit is always a question mark. Uh, But the Stars need to take care of their coaching vacancies first. Uh, Is there anybody that sticks in mind? And moreover, how do the Stars uh, find a way to keep goose eggs on the board on the other side and get one off of theirs on the offensive front?
1: They're an they're an interesting franchise over the last ten years, right? Um, when when Sagan and Ben were first, so you know supposedly united, they, I mean they were dual forty goal scorers. I mean they were, uh, you know, just vaunted offensive mm-hmm. team, but again, couldn't play any defense, and now. It's ironic how the seesaw has swung completely the opposite way. Where defensively they were okay, they're not a juggernaut by any means. They're not a Mike Zimmer defense. Yes, Vikings fans, I triggered you, and that's fine. <laughs> um, but at the end of it, they um, they couldn't score. And mm. you know, for guys, Is that important? a little bit, mm. um, and especially with you know on on their on their D on, on the defensive line, you've got uh, you know John Klingberg and Miro Haskin and two that are some of the better offensive defensemen in the league. I think it was quite shocking to to see how tough it was for that team to score. Um this is where I think Paul Maurice I think makes a good fit here in Dallas. Uh just because yeah. I think he does have a little bit more wide open style, uh, allows the offense to go. Um he's got mobile defense and we've seen how Winnipeg did when they had Dustin Buffalo and I think that that style and that type of approach would benefit Dallas because again, um Dallas is in a kind of a weird situation too going with Uh, Tyler Sagan and Jimmy Ben, they're not getting any younger. In fact, I'm going to check real quickly how old those two players are because and the better question, how unproductive they've been. Yes. Um, And so, okay. So Tyler Sagan's 30, uh, Jamie Ben's 32, Joel Pavelski for being 37 is probably the, their best steal as their, uh, as their, uh, as their 37 year old assistant captain of five and a half million. But how about this? Jamie Ben, with their non-production nine and a half million to 24, 25, Tyler Sagan, 9.85 million to 26, 27. So you got to get those two, you gotta get those two rolling yeah. and you gotta give them some help too. Um, I, I I you see some good sort of secondary help. I, I think to me their best secondary help was Dennis Garyanoff Ropey uh, Rope Hintz had um a good year, so did Raddock Fox. Uh, but beyond that, their depth up front is not great. They spend a lot of money in the blue and again, Miro Hasten, 8.45 million, I believe, till 2829. Uh, Esa Wendell, 5.8 million, Suter again, whoever the hell that is, 3.65 million from until 24 25. And Yanni
0: Um and you mentioned too, Tyler Sagan, fourth on the team with 49 points, and Jamie Benn six with 46, and that's a enough. far cry from Hints, Robertson, and Pavelski at 72, 79, and 81 respectively. Far, right. And you're paying almost 19 million dollars for that kind of production, and not yep. to say not to say it's bad, but it is
1: not to the value of their contract
0: yeah it's not and you know i think that's always the challenge with players you know you sign a contract and then you, you are expected to uphold that standard of the contract i think yeah. um you know if you want to be theoretical you know there's not a lot of players that do match the value of their contract like if you want to be fair with the injury bug Sidney crosby hasn't technically matched the value of his contract production wise some seasons but he has two stanley cups so there's your answer for that one you know but um you know, there there's a lot of pieces I think that have to go with the Dallas Stars. Um, you know, goaltending wise, Jake Ottinger, you know, looks like the steal he's for them. He's the real right deal. Yeah,
1: he's the real deal. And and that gives them, if there's anything, that's kind of been almost the big turnstile and goal uh, going back to Ben Bishop, who had health problems, and then. Um, going back to, I mean, really since Kari Lettnin's departure, uh, they never, Marty Turco, Marty Turco. <laughs> I mean, let's go through it. I mean, geez, when you're having to start in a playoff game, um, yeah. the, the Kazakhs, the Kazakhstan fanatic and the scorpion kick, uh, <laughs> my goodness. I mean, it, he played his lights out, but obviously uh, above expectation, still, um, still doesn't beat the name of Ron Tugnut though. So, um, that's true, but, um, Speaking of above Or Ziggy expect- Pulfy. Ziggy Pulfy. That's a good one. <laughs> I always forget he played for
0: them. Um, yeah. <laughs> you know, speaking of above expectations, though, let's move over to the interim tags. Um, I, w- I was going uh, in the order of East uh, to West. Uh, we have one East team, three West teams So We're going to start with one of the West teams, though, because this is the closest reported deal. Um, So the Edmonton Oilers, uh, the interim tag, uh, finishing second in the Pacific at 104 points. 49 wins, 27 losses, 6 OT losses. Not a lot of draft picks. Uh, a 1st, nope. a 5th, a 6th, and a 7th, and just under $7 million in projected cap space. The interim coach has been Jay Woodcroft since February 10th um, when uh, Coach Tippett left. Uh, the Oilers are oh, actually... Schmore,
1: Reese. No, it's it was Tippett. It was... Oh no, I'm thinking Winnipeg. I yeah. Mean, had, yeah, yeah. Tippie didn't leave; he was kicked out the door. But sure. Yeah. Well, I try to be nice about it. Um. <laughs>
0: but, but the Oilers are being nice. Um. From our uh, everyone's wild favorite, uh, Kevin Weeks, uh, reporting that uh, Jay Woodcroft is on the verge of signing a three-year deal. So I think that one is probably signed. And much deserved. Yep. And
1: much deserved. Uh, that team was the hottest team out of the gate, um, during the opening of the season. Then they literally went the opposite way; couldn't win a game. Um, so they part of ways. ways. Um, in fact, a lot of people in the oil country were calling for that for weeks. Um, and I think a lot of people, including myself, were wondering why it was taking them so long. Uh, Jay Woodcroft uh, goes to at the helm and uh, they were, well, honestly, statistically the best team in the league since he took yeah. over February 10th. Um, obviously got to the Western conference final to just ran into a freaking re- freight train known as the Colorado avalanche. So um, pretty Impressive run, actually, uh, by the Edmonton Oilers, and uh, you got to wonder with, uh, especially with Connor McDavid. Um, can you imagine he's what twenty five now, twenty four, yeah. twenty five? That uh, you talk about him being in his prime. I mean, I think Oil Country knows it's you got to start making some deeper runs like mm-hmm. they had this last year, and with Jay Woodcroft at the helm, uh, it was an easy signing for uh, for this one. So, it, not obviously formally announced, but it wouldn't surprise me if it was coming in the coming days. Yeah, and don't believe the video
0: online on social media about Connor McDavid uh, after being out on a night on night the town. That video is old. So uh, for Very those who old. have been following social media, yeah, uh, on. be wary on that one. Um, let's talk about some former Minnesota Wild Ties. Andrew Burnett, the current interim head coach of the Florida Panthers, the President's Trophy winners, first in the Atlantic Division, of course, because uh, that's how that works, uh, 122 yes. points, 58 wins, 18 losses, 6 OT losses. They do not have a pick in the first two rounds, but they have every – pick since then including a second 6th round pick from the Toronto Maple Leafs and just over 2.7 million in cap space they were kind of in win now mode they still kind of are not a lot of cap yep. space apparently Barry Trotz Peter DeBoer Travis Green Rick Tockett and potentially Paul Maurice have all been interviewed by the Panthers uh in addition to Andrew Brunette Nick I know who your pick is uh, going to be um the question is why if you're looking if you're on the outside looking in and you enjoyed what Andrew Brunette did um, for those who are not curious about how this works, is this a common practice for the Florida Panthers to still go seeking with some interviews?
1: Well, nothing to know what the Florida Panthers in history has ever been common practice, so that's <laughs> that's that's a that's a false predicate. But uh, you know, it's impressive with Andrew Burnett how he took essentially a system that was implemented by Joel Quenville – Um, we'll get back to him. I'm assuming a different episode, um, but didn't really change much. and was able to just continue to let the wheels turn by themselves. Right. Um, now there are some question marks with Andrew Burnett. Um, I'm not as sold on him and I think, yeah, this is a common practice per se. Um, if you're the Florida Panthers who I think are trying to strike while the iron is hot. Um, they're a, that's a frustrated franchise again, who this is the first time they've won a run in over 25 years. So, Um, they they want to be relevant again. And I think yeah. they are essentially, as you mentioned, in, in win-now mode. And I think they're trying to do whatever it takes to, to be able to get there. Um, Florida, as good as their record was, there are some asterisks, right? They, they had to come back from multi-goal leads more than their fair share of times. Um, the second round against the now, uh, the Tampa Bay Lightning, the Eastern Conference Champs, I mean, they weren't you know, even in close in that series. Uh, so you kind of wonder, if that might be something that the Panthers are looking at more is that I think the roster they have, they'll be fine in the regular season. But I think um, with the way they were just completely stonewalled in the second round uh, that they maybe look somewhere else. I mean, I I think Andrew Brunette gets a healthy look, but I don't know. I'm not as, I'm not as, I'm not as concrete on that as maybe you would, might think. Yeah.
0: Well the Panthers did set that pedigree. Uh say what you want about the man, but he's good at coaching. Joel Quinville yep. was their attractive pickup um until uh uh yeah, until you know uh, life caught up to him. Um uh, speaking of speaking of someone else that uh, was involved in that piece, um, and if you don't know what we're talking about, um well that stinks, but uh, Kevin Chevel Dayoff is the general manager of the Winnipeg yep. Jets, also part of this piece. Actually just got a three year deal a couple yes, you of uh, well, weeks ago. Eighty 89- nine Winnipeg. Yeah, (sighs) 89 point. (laughs) Tell us how you really feel, Nick. All right. Bears, 80, I don't get it. Anyway, Eighty-nine points, 89.6 in the Central Division for them. Kind of a down year. 39 wins, 32 losses, 11 overtime finishes. Uh, they do have a first rounder, two seconds, a third, a fourth, a sixth, and a seventh, and just over $16 million in projected cap space. Um, interim coach Dale Lowry, he's going to get an interview as the Jets have just begun their coaching search. Um, Pretty fun little story coming out of this, though, next yep. to our last two teams here. Uh, Winnipeg Brewery says that it will give Barry Trotz free beer for life if he returns to his native province to coach the the jets um little brown jug brewing company and a local sports talk show hashed the campaign on monday several months into the club's coaching search uh and little brown jug also pledged to brew a beer of trotz's choice commemorating his return if it comes to pass so kind of a fun little marketing thing that they're doing will it sway the opinion i don't know but uh no. trotz could look good behind the bench uh, up there in the peg
1: well, trots will, will be great behind any bench, right? Uh, yeah. But little brown jug, first of all, I don't like little jugs of beer. I like big jugs of beer. <laughs> uh, 2 it's brown, it probably needs to be washed. What the hell is going on? But uh, <laughs> <laughs> Oh, what do you know? You only work I in know, the restaurant it's true, industry. It's true. I know, right? So, uh so interesting, right? So it, it's funny how the Winnipeg Jets, how they want change, but yet they don't when they re-up their GM that's been there since essentially their move up to uh, Winnipeg from Atlanta. Um, yeah. The and it, You kind of wonder, too, does this explain or maybe hint at why Maurice stepped down yeah. a little bit? Whereas, you know, was there some constraints that he was facing from, from management above him? Yeah. Um, it's interesting, I, right? Dare um, I, dare I say constraints from uh personnel below him? Can
0: I, can I go that Avenue? And sure. the reason I say, you know, there's, there's a timeline on all NHL coaches, some longer than yeah. others, um, as you can clearly tell, but Um, A lot of times it kind of goes the way of the Bruce Cassidy situation where GM takes a look at a coach and says, this is not the best fit for what we have going on. I wonder if Paul Maurice kind of felt his time was over in Winnipeg. They were slumping. And you have a little bit of that locker room distraction. You know, Blake Wheeler's trying to keep things together, but you have Mark Shifley who's doing his own little thing, making some weird media quirks. You had the whole Patrick Liney situation a couple of years ago. Winnipeg's a tough environment in a Canadian market. It's a tough environment to live in, climate-wise, too, um, kind of a dreary city that a lot of people have talked about. I love Winnipeg, been there many times, but that's just kind of the report scouting report. If you're talking about Winnipeg, um, it's not the most attractive auction for a lot of coaches and Paul Maurice stuck it out since the franchise was essentially getting their restart back in 2011. And I wonder if it kind of became old hat for him and he sees, uh, greener and potentially sunnier pastures in front of them. So dare I say sure. that the, that a personnel change kind of maybe similar a little bit to Rick bonus in Dallas where, uh, the coach took a look at the team and the direction and said, you know what, maybe this isn't for me anymore.
1: It's possible. Um, you know, at the end of it, Winnipeg, I, I think in a, in a more dire situation than right. I think they have some serious self-reflection that need to be doing. Um, yeah. You know, I don't know how you do that. Maybe just wear you know, a, a, a suit made out of mirrors and then you can sit down and reflect all you want, but sure. Yeah. Um, I don't know. I mean, there, there's definitely something that has to change in in winnipeg and uh there's reports that shifley's on the trade block um and you kind of wonder if, if that's the route they're going to go however and it may be with shovel Shevel- dayoff off having a fresh three-year extension now mind you gms when we sign extensions are never ever safe um so you kind of wonder with maybe some new life um does he decide to uh, maybe pull some strings or make some roster moves that maybe aren't particularly um, popular maybe with fans, but it may be necessary. Um, they still got some good talent on that roster. Uh, Kyle Connor, um, a fantastic uh, score. Again, one of the more underrated scores in the NHL and just happens to be on a Winnipeg squad that, just couldn't quite keep up in the Western conference this year. So yeah, hard to say. I'm not really sure what Winnipeg is going to do there. Uh, Again, you have the same GM now for the 12th season that will be at the helm. So, or no, sorry, 11th season. I I keep my numbers, right? So I don't know. Long time, long time, yeah. and and again, I think that fan base is, is growing a little bit apathetic, and there definitely is going to need to be some improvement um, with that rush, and you kind of wonder if uh, by next trade deadline, um, if they're still in the same position, if we don't see some familiar foes uh, be sent away. Let's talk about trades. Our last team, Alex DeBrinkett,
0: a 41-goal season for him. He is on the market for uh, Chicago Blackhawks and their yeah. interim coach, Derek King. Uh, the makes- Hawks are... Um- not an exciting destination, which is wild to say. But uh yeah, All we're right, at that no. we're at that point. They are the only other team besides Detroit on this list to have a losing record last season. Also an interesting caveat to some coaching changes as well. Uh 28, 42, and 12, 68 points. Good for seventh in the central. They do not have a first-round pick in the upcoming draft. They have two seconds, one of which comes from the Minnesota Wild and the Marc-Andre Fleury deal. Um, two thirds, actually, excuse me, three third rounders, two sixth rounders, and a seventh rounder, and just under 27 or excuse me twenty-five million dollars in projected cap space hawks are a curious case and the seth jones Very deal curious. doesn't doesn't look great uh is oh no, it, it looks like crap <laughs> is it is it full rebuild
1: time for the hawks or can they find a retool on the fly you know it's 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 interesting that the player we're talking about is alex to yeah and and i say that because he's their best young forward um right. six and here's why if you do end up trading to it, it is full rebuild yep. 100%, 6.4 million, a restricted free agent, which means any team that signs them has a little bit more control over that next deal per se, whether it's a bridge deal or whether you just go full smoke on them. Um, but then the questions become not about to it, but then what about Jonathan Taves and Patrick Kane? Um, yeah. Because I do think that if you trade to um you have to think one, if not both, um, are going to be in the blocking. Patrick Kane, 33. Jonathan Tate, 34. Dabrinkan, only 24. Um, this still is a pretty young squad, albeit the average is just only 25. Um, again, the back end. Seth Jones, mm, that hasn't been great. Yeah. Jake McCabe, uh, Riley Stillman, Alex Plastic, uh, Calvin DeHaan, Eric Gustafson. Um, so their blue line is decimated to say the least yeah, a, uh, a lot a
0: lot of names that you go through
1: that you go who not
0: household names
1: in a lot of respects no, and it's not it's not Jalmerson Seabrook uh Keith? My, Duncan Keith yeah and who was Jalmerson's partner for the longest time Why well, I can't think of his name Jalmerson Seabrook Keith why is there another one
0: Maybe there's not. I I thought there. Why can I think of this? I mean, Nick Letty was there for a
1: while. Letty, yeah, yeah, for a while, sure. Um, so. you know,
0: and, and and here's the thing. You talk about big names. Both the big contracts at just over ten or at ten million dollars for Kane and Taves come off the books after next year. I think Patrick Kane unless something crazy happens, it's going to be obviously not as expensive, but I think he's going to be a lifer in a Chicago sweater. He's broken all the records and he's, he's the better of the two know. players Here's I don't here, know. Here's the thing though. If I'm Chicago and we talked about uh really, it was Alex to and uh, Brendan Hegel being the cornerstones that the Hawks needed to build around Hegel, of course, getting moved in that deal to Tampa Bay. Uh, if I'm the Hawks, um, I'm biting the bullet for another season. I'm hanging on to it as much as the return of high picks and prospects sounds eluding, You have a known commodity in DeBrinket. I think you 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 ride it out for another year. You hang on to Patrick Kane on another deal and Jonathan Taves, unless it's team friendly, is on his way out the door and you start the rebuild from there. You have an aging veteran who still can play the game of hockey, who's still effective in Patrick Kane, who pairs well with Alex Dobrynkin, and you build around that core and you're still in a rebuild, but you're not full, all hands on deck, tear it down, blow it up. And I think that's the move.
1: I disagree, and here's why. Um, you've got to strike now. You have to strike now, and here's why. It's it's so from a team perspective, you're not wrong per se because you're like, hey, you, you have this guy, but here's the problem: when you have a a value of DeBrinket and you have essentially every GM calling you and going, what do I need to grab? This is the most he's going to command. The risk that you take by keeping him another season is: does he fall off? Does he get injured? And then all of a sudden, his trade value goes down. You don't have any trade pieces in Patrick Kane or Jonathan Taves because, again, even if you they play well, not a lot of teams are going to be able to fit them under their salary cap, right? So I think, and this is why DeBrinket's name is being talked about now, is that this is more so securing those high level assets now and not taking the risk that he falls off or gets injured, and therefore the rebuild that you are very clearly setting yourself up for that you already essentially started, as you mentioned with the move of Brandon Hagel, um, you cannot turn away those high valued assets just because you have one more year. That's to me too high a risk. Unfortunately for the Hawks though, we've seen
0: this, we've seen this song play out uh, before we We have our our Temi Panarin, Brandon sod
1: guys that were able to walk it. the return
0: was okay, but it wasn't, wasn't great. So, wasn't this is great. why I'm Still arguing
1: dead. if you're getting the calls now on that high of interest and someone's willing to pay you, got to take it. But that's what I'm saying. If, if you get rid of Alex DeBrinkett and you get two picks and two prospects and they don't pan out. But that's also the risk you take because. Do you, at least you get the two picks and the prospects? Whereas, if he gets injured or he has a terrible season on a terrible team, and all of a sudden the GMs are like, you know what, he's I don't know, you know, you know it's a I could find somebody cheaper.
0: It's a draft class that's a little bit weak this year. And here, and here, here's the, thing, that's the Nick, thing, here's that's the, the thing, here's the thing, though, Nick, like if you give away if you give away alex to and let's say you get two players' well, you're not in, giving them away you're right going to get a good haul right but i'm saying if you it just hear me out two <laughs> picks two picks and two prospects and they don't pan out or let's say let's say they do pan out let's say they're all right let's say they're middle six or or top nine forwards sure is that enough to replace alex to Brinkett is that move enough you're not replacing their brinket right now that's but, that, the thing. but you're replacing him down the line. Alex Debrinket is 24 yeah. years old. He's going to be I a stud. Yeah, unless something crazy happens, he's going to be a stud NHLer for the
1: next decade. Sure. You know? But you have nothing on that squad to build around him and maximize his potential. Nothing. So that's, and that's kind
0: of. Yeah, Patrick Kane, though. That's what I'm saying. Patrick Kane and Alex Debrinket have been be wildly, pro-
1: wildly productive on a team that sucks. That's the thing, though, is. At what point does it fall off? The risk of the fall off is higher than the reward that you would possibly get by keeping him. I don't know. And that's and that's and
0: he's a 40 goal score. Like
1: <laughs> right, but again, on a you team that's terrible. Patrick, but that's yeah. the thing. That's why people are calling and like, okay, this kid's talent is actually legit. We want this kid. And Chicago has already indicated, as I mentioned before, they are due for a full nuke rebuild. Yeah. And you and have like him, to, well, here's the thing. It's, I'm just saying to bring not the, corner,
0: that, the cornerstone. He's the cornerstone you build around in the rebound. He is the one foundational but, piece that you build around. It's not Seth Jones. It's not Patty. Kane, it's not, you
1: it's know? not no. And, and that's the other thing too, is, you know, the league revenues, um, if they, if they continue to go in a spot where Bettman I think is still being kind of conservative about, and thank you to Ellen Walsh, who said, hey, pre-pandemic, you were at $5 million in revenue, not five point two. Shut up. It's not that big of a deal. Um, mm-hmm. That's actually true. Um, but if all of a sudden your revenues are as high as you say, or maybe they increase, because, again, a lot of reporters have said that those numbers are conservative, and you are able to pay off the player's escrow and do it fast, and now all of a sudden those salary caps can shoot up quite rapidly, which I hope it does, I think Chicago is looking at everything timing-wise and saying, hey, not only could we do this, because again, anytime you make a trade, anytime, whether it's picks or prospects, I mean, hell, even if you get Artemi Panarin back, just as a, just as an example, a known commodity, it's still a risk because he can have no chemistry with his line mates, right? It doesn't matter what you're getting him back for. It's the fact that if you can get either the quantity or the quality of the assets, you have to agree to it at that time. And,
0: and that and that's my point is that we've seen the quality of a player like Alex to with only one guy riding shotgun. That's how skilled he is. But nonetheless, I don't know why right. we're arguing with the Blackhawks because we're
1: wild fans. And anytime the Blackhawks suck, that's better I'm just for us. I'm just, and, I'm just saying like, because
0: no, I well, understand one, your point. One
1: further point, even what's just say they do make a trade, right? There's not much left for them. Honestly, well, I yeah, mean, that's my point. Like, like, so it's like, so, it, and that's, that's why, my, that's, and that's, that's my why point. you trade why, him. Yeah, that's why, because you're not going to be able to rebuild them around fast
0: enough. Right, and that's what I'm saying. Why trade Alex Brinkett when you know what you're getting, and he can play even on a poor team until you rebuild those two, those two picks or two players might not be enough to spark the rebuild process. It, it's going to take it's Patty Kane and time.
1: Jonathan Taves. Coming off the books, they need cap space no, and is. they need signings. But and I'm not as convinced you are that Patty Kane is a lifer. I think that Patty Kane's a competitor. I feel like if there was an offer on a playoff competitive team, because Chicago, well, I, I, be meant, stuck I meant I meant I meant out of the two of them. No, I get it. Yeah, I get it. Um, I I could see them both being gone. Honestly, Tays and Kane. I think they're both one of the shot of a cup. And depending on again, I think the Debrinkit trade depending on how they view that you know if they look along because we know the roster right it's not there's not a lot of household names if the brink has gone just patrick kane and jonathan taves want to stay on that or do they want to go to a playoff contender all right, right. And, all right and with so ufa status why not test the market
0: so we've determined that eric daze and the hawks are headed to houston along with arizona okay along um with
1: john madden yes
0: yeah <laughs> nhl Round four, Stanley Cup playoffs, uh, Stanley Cup final. Colorado 2, Tampa Bay 0. Game three is Monday Monday night, June 21st in Tampa. All games from here on out, 7 o'clock Central Time. Uh, Mm -hmm. Game four, Wednesday, uh, June 22nd in Tampa. Uh, They pretty much just alternate every other day. Game five, I can't believe I'm saying this, if necessary. Uh, right. is Friday in Colorado game six, if necessary, Sunday, and game seven, if necessary, Monday, June 28th, in Colorado, 7 p.m. Central Time. Uh, Nick, uh, interestingly enough, as we talk about dates, uh, the cup was, uh, um, of course, won on August 1st of 2020 when we had the delayed yep. start uh, with COVID. Besides that, uh, which Stanley Cup final has went the latest in the year? This will break the record. Besides that, August 1st, this will break the record for latest Stanley Cup final. Um, it has happened uh, in the last two decades, and it did go all the way to seven games. So that narrows it down.
1: Mm. Well, Game Seven Stanley Cup Final. Uh, how about Dallas Buffalo? No, in the last. Well, I guess I guess that is. That would the be technically two deck. Well, kind no, of. No, um, no, not, not math. You just Detroit, flex your big brain. There. Detroit, Detroit, uh, Pittsburgh.
0: I'll give you one more shot. Uh, there was at least one former St. Cloud State player in this game.
1: Was it Tampa in 04 against Calgary? Carolina, Edmonton, Game Seven. Okay. Oh, I was six. Did oh, you- Hedican june 5th
0: 2006 so uh yeah fun little tidbit there um that was not from wikipedia so calm down uh yeah but yeah um, it was from uh fupedia actually um it was actually harder to find i actually had to go to the NHL website and click through all the results and see which one was the latest so um but, uh, yeah exposed website sucks, by the way. But, well, that's a different conversation. Let's talk about results. Uh, seven to nothing finish in game two for the Colorado Avalanche. Uh, yeah. Tampa Bay through the first three rounds of the series in the first period, their goal differential is plus five. In this series, it is uh, dash five or dash six. I think it's dash five. Um, and the goal differential uh, right now is not looking good 10 to three. Um, not good. Yeah, Tampa Bay, we've seen this story before. Even mm-hmm. game one against Toronto, where it took him a hot minute to figure out their opponent, uh, Nick does and Tampa- the Rangers. Yeah. Does does Tampa Bay do what they do best, or is Colorado just too good?
1: You wonder if Tampa is out of gas honestly because it, it's not i mean the the 61 second penalty in um wasn't it a hooking call by mcdonough it was uh it was a roughing call it was a roughing call yeah. okay. they, they they had no answer they they, they had no 15 answer to one in the first um, 10 minutes tonight there was some frustration calls there was what we call chasing the game penalty calls uh we knew the speed of Colorado was going to be the avalanche's biggest threat um, in the series. You kind of wonder how Tampa would contain that. And again, Colorado coming off almost a week of rest, uh, Tampa going the distance game seven against the Rangers. Uh, sorry. Game six. I'm sorry. Uh, they yeah. went seven with who did they go? Seven with? was Toronto. Yeah. Um, so they've had a lot of hockey in them. I know at the past three years, have had a lot of hockey in them. My goodness. They're back-to-back cup winners. Um, But to your point, they were down 2-0 to the Rangers before they caught fire back on home ice. Um, I'm not as confident this time around. Mm -hmm. I'm not. Colorado is just that fast. Um, You talk about how when you're in the Stanley Cup final and you're that close to raising a a championship trophy, how Colorado just seemed like they were toying with their opponent and they were twisting the knife. Mm -hmm. Um, And you kind of wonder... What reset, and it's going to have to be a quick one, again, only a day's rest uh, going to, day, uh, to game three. Um, what kind of maybe lineup adjustments that we see? Um, do we see a re-energized uh, lightning down at Amalie Arena in Tampa? It's a tough order. Um, I Dare I say it's a yeah. sweep unless the lightning take it uh, game three. They yeah. have to have it. Well,
0: it's it, it's good they're at home. They've been good at home. Uh, the Avalanche are now after tonight. They are now eight and one in the playoffs in games in which they have scored first. Their only loss coming as an overtime loss against St. which Louis. team? St. St. Louis. St. Louis, correct. The only, but,
1: the only teams they have given them a loss this postseason. Yeah. So um, it's
0: uh, it's going to be interesting. This yeah, this Avs team. Holy crap, are they good? I mean, you know, and it was interesting with the return of Braden Point. And I, uh, you know, the loss of Nazem Kadri for Colorado, the fact that the better goaltender on paper is Andre Vasilevsky, you know, we thought that Colorado had some gremlins that they had to get through. Now, granted, the series isn't over; things could swing back in the opposite direction. But last change will
1: be big. Yeah, especially it, at home.
0: You know, it's been uh, yeah. How about that? How about the Avs going, going? Yeah, literally twelve and two now, fourteen and two in the playoffs. Like that is that is utter dominance. That is almost
1: that's almost 2012 Kings, except the Kings were the eighth seed coming in and not the number one, uh, you know, full steam ahead, 800 horsepower machine that Colorado is.
0: Yeah. Unbelievable how good this Colorado team is Uh, and we didn't get a chance to talk about who our picks would have been before the series. I had Colorado and I'm not saying that just because they're up to nothing. I had them as maybe being the team that was going to be just too good for Tampa Bay. Um, But again, you never really count the lightning out. But like you mentioned, we talked about how pivotal game three was going to be against the Rangers in last series and that it was the biggest game three of their Cup final run so far. This one. Takes even more precedent. This win takes the cake for got, sure. Got gotta have this because the Rangers were a young team that had some weaknesses that could be exploited. Colorado's a well-oiled machine with not a lot of glaring holes. If anything, maybe
1: Darcy Kemper, but he's been absolutely fine, uh, as proven to the first two games. So, well, and to to Darcy Kemper's point is that he hasn't had to be. I think that's the biggest yeah. thing is that Colorado's. Uh, structure has really, I mean, geez, I think if I saw the stack correctly tonight, Nikita Kucherov had zero shot attempts the entire game. That's not yeah. going to win you hockey games uh, if you're the Tampa Bay lightning. Um, but you got to credit Colorado for being able to contain him. Um, Steven Stamkos, uh, again, Alex Kalorn, Andre Palat, Braden point. Um, and even the guys in the back end, Victor Hedman, Mikhail Sergachev. I mean, this, these are guys that got championship pedigree. Um, and you kind of wonder if there's any team that can try to claw back in this. You wonder if Tampa can reach back and feel confident. They're, they're you know, as you mentioned, there's still games to be won. The series is not over. Again, they've been in this position not that mm-hmm. long ago. Um, but again, this is a much different, much bigger, much more ferocious beast that they're up against in Colorado. Um, and I'm kind of wondering with not that it was 7 nothing, Noah, but just how they lost. Again, they just look. Yeah more than a step slow. You you see them chasing the game quite a bit. Um you see the frustration mounting, especially offensively for Tampa. And I think that's going to be the key is well they'll get last change. Um you kind of wonder if they'll maybe with those matchups that they want, they'll be able to get more offensive chances. Um and again, you know, back in home ice, maybe they get re energized we'll see. But uh it's gonna be interesting. I still think Colorado, I mean, I had Tampa, I'm not gonna lie, but Uh, Colorado is looking just way, way too dangerous right now, and it would not shock me if Colorado won the
0: series. Yeah, I'm thinking Colorado win five, but we'll have to see. We're going to move on to our extra ice session. Uh, We had a a very long main portion of the show, so we'll try to keep it short and sweet here. We're going to talk a little bit of free agency and see about the top unrestricted free agents on the market. Welcome into our extra ice session. Nick Maxon, alongside myself, Noah Grant. Nick, taking a look at some UFAs here pulling up Cat friendly. We're just going to talk, I think, unrestricted free agents. No RFAs in this conversation today, sure. except for maybe a little tidbit about Kevin Fiala, if it makes sense. Um, I have them pulled up for Cat Friendly and in- you know, looking at maybe, maybe kind of going through like the the top twenty five, going from the back end up. One of the first names that kind of caught my eye at number twenty three. That's been an intriguing, uh, an intriguing case this season, and intriguing to see where he ends up. Where does Evander Kane go?
1: Oh boy, um, his story is more complicated because you got to remember his grievance against the San Jose Sharks has not been finished yet. Yeah. Um And ju- and, and, just, and just a casual thirty nine points in forty three games this year, you know. Right. I would think that depending on how that whole thing plays out, I could see Edmonton wanting him back. That was a dynamic line for them. Um, the question is, at what cost? Uh, Edmonton is essentially without a goaltender. and then going over to Europe to the Swiss League. Um, yeah, they have. Saw that coming, unfortunately. Uh, how long can you honestly ride Mike Smith? So they're yeah. going to be in the need for a goaltender. Um, Big so problem big problem sorry to interrupt you but uh 7.1
0: million dollars in cap space they have three rfas five ufas on the forward side and two ufas on the back end like yeah, it's not looking pretty for Edmonton. Including including some uh uh you know some guy uh Jesse Puljujarvi, Kaylor Yamamoto, you know Evander Kane is probably the only big
1: name. How about the fact that Kyle Turris is not a big name anymore
0: in the NHL like he used to he be? He
1: fell off a brick um after getting out of uh, Ottawa. I think he had that one playoff stint when he was at Nashville, those that, that Stanley, was he there with that Stanley cup final? And I think he was, wasn't he, wasn't he a deadline acquisition for them? Yeah. Well, the, their other big challenge too. And I don't know
0: how, if his career where he's at, but Oscar Clef Blom is on IR at $4.1 million and they still got to figure dead. out their goaltending situation. Yeah, so they're you know. a mess.
1: So yeah, that's going to be tough. Uh, just because again, that, that whole roster could, they're going to have to maybe go bottom of the barrel scraping to, to be able to make it under the cap. It's going to be interesting. That's yeah, for sure. Definitely. Uh, max Domi is a UFA had a, had kind of a down year for Carolina. Uh, Ricard well
0: Ricard Raquel. We'll see if he stays with the penguins. Like we talked about earlier, as well as Evgeny Malkin sitting at 20 and 21. Uh, mm-hmm. Malkin was hurt for about half the season, actually, uh, exactly half the season, but was a point per game player. Sure. Um, Evan Rodriguez, uh, funny, all three of those penguins are all 19, 20 and 21 on this list. Um, Everyone's favorite, you know, Niederreiter. He's number eighteen on this list. Uh, Forty-four oh points in seventy-five games played. Uh, Paul Stastny, the former Wild killer, uh, age thirty-six, still a Wild killer, but <laughs> yeah, <laughs> finishing in Winnipeg. Um, Mason Marchment, by the way, mm-hmm. twenty-seven years of age, had a pretty good year with the Panthers. John Klingberg. The question mark is: Is Jeff Petrie
1: the answer for Dallas if uh, you know they can't resign him? Um, remember Kleinberg asked for a trade too and you know we haven't really heard much since then it's been pretty quiet over there in the lone star stable to see what develops from that yeah
0: um can the tampa bay lightning hang on to andre palat 49 points in 77 games played uh 31 years of age uh
1: is he staying or is he going oof uh tampa's got some cap issues next year i mean they've had some cap issues for a while yeah. but uh um Shane weber has tough. entered the chat i know well can anymore so uh <laughs> unless they flip them but uh yeah. yeah that's gonna be tough that's gonna be tough to keep them I and mean, you kind of wonder also uh if there's anything i've noticed about tampa's defensive they're, they're older and man are they slow yeah well so am i but you're still here um this is true you
0: know uh, the wheelchair it, is capped so shoot. Yeah, <laughs> you know yeah tampa bay is going to be an interesting case and this could be their last little kick at the can for a while we'll have to see could be i uh, uh Vinny trochek sits at 13th on this list 51 points in 81 games played a good little centerman that can also play wing for carolina um a quietly underrated player in valerie Nichushkin, both of the regular season and playoffs for Colorado. Yikes,
1: he's been unbelievable yeah. and 52 think...
0: points in 62 games a 0.84 point per game clip he's been good
1: and to think that he was sort of the uh the you know the pariah when he was with Dallas. He yeah. goes over uh plays in Russia for a couple of years, comes on a very low risk low reward contract to Colorado now, um has been one of their better defensive forwards and now also adding some offense at the most needed time. He's been their dark horse um and he's going to be looked at as uh, one of the uh not uh, he won't win mvp but he will definitely deserve a lot of praise for if the color is able to finish it off uh, he deserves a lot of accolades for the performance he's had in these playoffs for sure
0: yeah he's been very good has to as uh three goals i think in the finals already now i had two tonight I so, think. Yeah, so yeah he did, yes he, he's looked really good uh number 11 on this list uh not coming to minnesota because apparently they aren't winners uh phil kessel uh 34 years of age We we'll don't have enough hot dogs whatever yeah um Number 10 on this list, I think he's too pricey for the wild, but out of all the guys on this list, I mean, there's a lot of guys that obviously would be a good fit. This is the guy I would love to see in a Minnesota wild sweater. Andrew Kopp, 27 years of age, can play anywhere in the lineup. 72 contests for him, 53 points, 0.74 points per game. One of the the better defensive, essentially two-way forwards, I would put him in that category, and centerman in the National Hockey League. He's a guy that I still think has flown – So hard under the radar, as well as Ryan Strom at number nine. One more point for him and two more games played. Those are two guys that I think are attractive options. I haven't taken a look. So right before I kick it off to you, uh, $12 million basically in cap
1: space for the Rangers entering next year. Yeah, uh, I think the Rangers are going to make a hard push to keep Andrew Kopp uh, because, again, with Kopp, I— to over 20 goals this season. He's six, one two Oh six. Uh, so he's got some size to him. Something that the wild, I think still want to look at a little bit more. Um, again, yeah. was really good in the kid line, um, against Philip Heedle and then, uh, Alex, uh, Ale LA So, mm-hmm. um, we'll see. Um, I would love to get him. As I said, mentioned before, um, the Wilder not going to have enough cap space to get him, I don't yeah. think. I think he's going to be due a raise. And he was earning just a shade of under $3.5 a year. I just don't think it's going to be able to work out. You know, the um, question, Mark, is him and Ryan
0: Stome had had identical seasons. Just one more assist, assist for Strom. Let's take a look at uh, Strom here. Uh, his last contract that he just signed uh, with the Rangers, if I can get it up here. Uh, he was make, making $4.5 million a season. And then Andrew Kopp, like you had just mentioned, $3.64 million AAV. How about that? that Andrew Kopp was on a one-year deal.
1: <laughs> yeah, kind of a show-me contract almost, you yeah. think, right? So um, given the Rangers and flexibility in the off season, Um I, I think Kopp goes back. I'm not sure about Ryan Strom. Um, do, yeah, and that's what I was going to ask is, do you think that if one stays, the other one's going? I think so. I do think so. I just don't think there's just enough room for him, unfortunately, Um, unless they take a a gigantic discount, which Cobb probably won't. But maybe Strom could. Uh, But Strom put up some good numbers, too. So his uh, his agent will be barking that order over to the the folks at MSG uh, executive offices. So hard to say. I do think one stays, one goes for sure.
0: If the Minnesota wild keep Marc-Andre Fleury, they should also go pick up David Perron at number eight on this list. Cause that Might would really, well. <laughs> that would really help things. Uh, actually, I uh, 34 years of age, uh, 57 points in 67 games, 0.85 points per game had 27 goals and 30 apples in the regular season. Um I, it won't show me the playoff stats. I wonder if I can find those, but I uh, he, was, he, he was very good in the playoffs. I think he had whatever it was to finish like 14 points in 12 games or something. Um, He's a guy and a right-handed shot. Yeah. He's a guy that, um, you know, maybe is due for maybe one more payday before his career kind of goes, or maybe kind of a front loaded contract there, which is not up the Minnesota wilds alley, but you no. know, uh, does St. Louis let's take a look at them. Why don't we St. Louis, have a projected nine million dollars in cap space and they Not are much. and they have uh only t- actually only two ufas uh tyler bozak and david perron in the front and uh, Scott Scott Perunovich, Nico Mikola are RFA's, Nikola, and, yeah, yeah, and Letty is a UFA like you mentioned, as well as Vili uh, Huso, who's been the target of the Toronto Maple Leafs as well as a lot of other teams, is a UFA for next year as well too. So nine million dollars, I'd say Vili Huso is definitely due for a raise, and that makes the question mark for David Perron a little bit more interesting. I think Tyler Bozak is gone, so
1: I think he is too. Um, I think they loved Nick Letty on their back end too to help solidify their back end which Mm -hmm. may close the door on David Perron. We'll have to see what St. Louis does to kind of retool a little bit, because again, um, just the way they play into Craig Berube, they just, they know the players that they need and they all execute that game plan. It's, it's actually kind of fun to watch, honestly, uh, despite being a Minnesota wild fan and having to be suffocated under that bullet constrictor, um, (laughs) David Perron would be amazing if you can get him at a good price, but I have a feeling with the numbers he put up, um, he could earn a contract very similar to the one he had, uh, which is what 3.4 million, I think is what he was getting. 3.4. Yeah. 3.4. Well, Cap it a four, uh, four million a season, you know, actual yeah. salary paid, 3.4 million. So um, again, like might be too expensive. Now, granted, you know, he was on uh Vegas, um, had a really good run with Vegas. He seems to find success wherever he goes. I think the biggest question with him is does he when is he just drop off and 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 maybe that opens the door where teams maybe pass on a little bit and maybe you can get him at a cheaper deal because of his age at 34 um we'll see i think i still think he skates well i still think he plays the game and very intelligently he's got still a great lethal shot um and as a depth piece Well, could use that
0: yeah 27 year old Andre Burakovsky sitting at seventh on this list with 61 points, had a pretty decent season on a very good Colorado squad Might above be the cup. Maybe. Yeah. <laughs> above him. I uh, three of the aging greats, 36, 34, 35, Patrice Bergeron, Claude Giroux and Chris Letang sitting at 65, 65. Well, Chris Letang
1: Latang So we can
0: take that off. Yeah. Right. <laughs> um, uh, 68 points as, as well for Chris Letang. Um, you know, he, don't know if he's gonna be back in a pen sweater we'll have to see but uh well didn't we just say that he was just no deal? no he's top priority oh they haven't they haven't, they haven't signed anybody no okay so uh yeah Latang, Giroux, and bergeron uh does bergeron continue to play hockey 65 points in 73 games you'd, you'd hope that he would uh he'll, he'll play yeah. How about the fact that Claude Giroux uh, for all the flack he's gotten in Philly quietly had 65 points in 75 games and then 68 points in 78 for Chris Latang. Uh, the question mark is Pittsburgh, Florida, Boston, uh, are any of those guys not going to stay with, with, their respective teams?
1: Oh boy. Um, I don't think, uh, Bergeron's going anywhere. I just can't see that. Yeah. Uh, I think the biggest moving piece might be Claude Giroux, honestly. Um, Florida is a good team, at least as we see them now. I'm curious to see what their offseason season moves might or may not be. You know, um, you not. To, of course, I did
0: just interrupt you again. You mentioned Patrice Bergeron. I should have a I, counter for that. Yeah, I, well, it's a lot. I the Bruins are in trouble here, Nick. I told you. What I'm if saying. you look, if, if I mean, you, I mean, we two, talked about it, $2.3 million in projected cap space. Uh, They only have three UFAs on the forward side Uh, and one UFA hell. on the D side. Uh, someone's got to go or Patrice Bergeron's got to take a healthy pay cut and his season does not warrant that.
1: Well, you know, the thing is he, he's a face of the franchise. He's a five times sulky winner. Um, Yeah. That's some pedigree that I think they want to have around. And again, he was a major voice that, well, shall we say, at least from the conspiracy theory terms, uh, led to the departure of Bruce Cassidy. So I think that there is a healthy relationship there. And again, as you mentioned, the numbers aren't favorable for Mm -hmm. both the Bruins and for Patrice Bergeron. So unless he takes essentially a league minimum salary, um, it's going to be tough to try to fill the rest of the roster out.
0: Like you mentioned, same with the Florida Panthers, just over three million dollars in space for them. They've got they've got five UFAs and an RFA on the front end and on the back end, they've got uh one RFA and three UFAs. So yeah, Claude Giroux definitely could have. I mean, he was a deadline acquisition. He was a push he for was the a cup. rental.
1: Yeah. He was a push for the cup, and I think he has um the respect amongst the the NHL community where I think he has earned the right to pick and choose. Where he wants to go depends on what is most attractive. Now, Could he re-sign in Florida? Sure. Um, but again, not a lot of room there. Um, we'll see what he does. But I think that that one probably amongst the three is to be the most dynamic player to be moved um, just because of multiple different things. And I think, again, Claude Giroux um, has a little bit more of the I really want to go try to win a cup somewhere. And we'll see. I think he's got the, the highest percentage to move. Yeah
0: top 3 guys on the UFA list sitting up there uh Philip Forsberg for Nashville I uh, had 84 points in 69 games Nazem Kadri 87 points this season 115 points Holy cow. for Johnny Goodrow. uh you look at Nashville's situation talking about Philip Ford uh Philip Forsberg excuse me Philip Ford whatever you want to call him. Uh, he's sure. pretty good at his position I'll say that uh Luke Cunning, um and I um Yakov Trinen, who actually had a pretty yeah, decent yeah. yeah, who actually had a pretty decent little playoff. Uh, as well as another player or UFAs in the front end, Philip Forsberg, Nick Cousins as UFAs, uh, and then Matthew Benning and Ben Harper, UFAs, and David Riddick um are UFAs for this Nashville squad that has uh twenty one and a half million dollars in projected cap space. I I would be hard pressed oh to not to not see Philip Forsberg back though. I mean, really, I would say you gotta get Forsberg uh and Luke Cunning. And Shrinen probably, you know.
1: Well, for obviously, Forsberg is number one priority. There's there are 42, point, uh, 42 goals uh, for for Philip Forsberg. He almost single-handedly willed that team um, yeah. Yeah, into a postseason berth. Uh, they need a backup goaltender. Um, Connor Ingram, I think, showed some good promise, but UC Saro's getting injured at the absolute worst time for this Nashville squad. Um, but, yeah, and you, you got to wonder, Matt Duchesne, um at age 31 did not have the greatest season by the numbers uh also ryan johansson's really really dived down to um i know he was getting a lot of flack as well uh, for his performance wait wait a minute that doesn't sound right
0: ryan johansson no i think they both had really good years this year didn't they yeah they had well matthew shane had 43 goals and 43 assists so I'm thinking of I'm thinking of maybe and, the, and uh, then, maybe they
1: no their playoff oh, that was their playoffs yeah and right then Ryan
0: from. Johansson had 26 goals and 37 assists so he had a, he had an okay year but Matt Shane, I was say Matt Shane was like exceptional this year
1: okay so so I mean which complicates things because it complicates yeah. it uh, because if you again you go to the the Nashville uh, uh, their roster breakdown you know mm-hmm. both Matt Duchesne and Johansson are making eight and eight apiece then you have Mikhail Granlund who just signed an extension. Uh, for uh, you still got five, three more years left on a five million dollar per year deal. Colton Sissons is there. Ellie um, Toliven, and then it's like, what else is left? Yeah. So they're very top heavy. They're very top heavy, and as they were, uh, just rapidly dismantled by Colorado in the first round. Um, you gotta wonder too what uh, uh, what the GM is is thinking down there. After yeah. I mean, they're not even close to an elite club. Yeah. And you, you kind of Re-s- want...
0: re-signing their head coach for two years too. And John Hines, um, yeah. yeah. That surprised me a bit. You, you know, you talked about uh, you know, what what is really what is really uh there. Uh the question is what is really there for the Colorado Avalanche with Nazem Kadri second on this list, and uh they are gonna be losing people. <laughs> that's there's no secret about that. 25.6 in projected cap space. Um, but here's the thing the McKinney's year now av- do. The year after next, Nathan McKinnon is due, um, as well as JT Confer, Alex Newhook, um, Lucas Sedlak in that year after next year, as well as Eric Johnson and Bowen Byram, who's an RFA. So that's not next year, but the year after. For this upcoming year, um, Nicholas Abe Kubel and Arturi Lekhanen are both RFAs. Uh, Burakovsky, Kyle Darren Helm, Kadri, Valerie Natushkin, and Nico Sturm are all UFAs. And then on the back end, Jack Johnson, Josh Manson, and Ryan Murray, our UFAs as well as Darcy Kemper. So yeah, the, this core it's, is not staying together.
1: No. And and again, this has been a team that for the last, well, probably three seasons was looked at as this is a dangerous squad. They should be a cup contender. They fell short the last couple of years this year. I think that even the players understand this is our best shot to take one home to the city of Denver. And how about that? How about that? Denver, could win the national championship for the NCAAs uh, a Denver area high school win the national high school hockey championship. Mm-hmm. And then you're going to have a, a triple crown of hockey championships if Denver's app av- av- is to able to pull out the Stanley cup victory. So how about that? Huh? And then, um, and then there's the Rockies and the nuggets. Who? <laughs> <Just kidding. laughs>
0: Seriously. Um, yeah. You know, speaking of who, um, you know, and feel free to feel free to touch on uh, what the abs are going to do, but uh, you know, the same boat I think applies to the Calgary Flames. Uh yeah. you know, and I, the reason I say who is because Johnny Gaudreau had the quietest 115 point season I've ever seen. Yeah. Uh he along with Kelly Yarncock, Trevor Yarncrock, Trevor Lewis, Brett Ritchie, Ryan Carpenter, all UFAs. Um, Matthew Kachuk and Andrew Maggiopani are both RFAs, as well as Oliver Shillington um on the back end. Erica Branson, Michael Stone, and Nikita Zadarov, all UFAs for next season.
1: So Colorado and Calgary, I mean, Yeah, well, it's a bit easier for Colorado if you hoist a cup because then it's like – that's sort of the price you pay to win a cup. It's like, okay, yeah. we, we brought in a lot of these guys. Darren Helm was a depth piece to bring in. He's got Stanley cup credentials, um, Nazem Kadri, I think is if there's any of the biggest surprise in terms of his production. Wow. Was he good? Um, he just, they just might lose him just to green your pastures because it's going to be a lot more green that people are going to be throwing at him. Um, and then Johnny Gaudreau, does he stay in Calgary? Does he go back to the United States? Um, you know, does is he looking for a change? I don't know. Um, the thing in Calgary is, uh, I think the biggest piece in disappointment was Sean Monahan. Um, yeah, Sean- he's been plagued by injury, and it's just yeah, his and his so, hip
0: injuries have never been the same. And the the bigger question is, yes, twenty six million
1: dollars in projected cap space, but you take care of Kachuk, you take care of Goodrell, Where does that is leave left. you, you now? You kind of wonder if it's one or the other kind of a situation. Yeah, you know? I w-
0: I would say if you get both of those two, the other name you're bringing back is probably Andrew Magiopani, just because he was that good. Um, yeah, I-, I don't know. It's a tough situation for uh for this squad. So Nick, my final question for you on the show, with the only RFA we're going to talk about here, um, you know how percentages work from zero to percent to a hundred percent. What are the odds that Kevin Fiala is in a Minnesota Wild sweater next season? Zero. Zero?
1: Okay. No, not even a... <laughs> okay. Zero. I Just because... And here's why I'm confident saying that. Now, mind you, I'll preface this because every Wild fan's going to think I'm just a freaking Wild hater. That's not the case. Bill you know, Guerin... You, you know who you sound like. Who? Don't even get me going. <laughs> anyway. um, Bill Guerin and the front office have been talking about ad nauseum the plan, quote-unquote, right? Yeah. And it sounds like from the postseason presser to midway through the season when they were asked about it, that it sounds like from the moves they made even prior to the season, they were made to buy him another year. but they knew that at some point, meaning this year, they were not going to be able to afford him. Yeah. And I think that's a it's it's not good you lose a player like that. A known commodity. So so but,
0: going back to the Alex DeBrink conversation, you're you're zero percent confident, meaning you're hundred percent confident, he's gone. Yeah. Where does he where does he end up?
1: Well, he's not ending up in the Western conference. We'll play to you that way. Um, I think if you're looking at some teams that are looking for an offensive punch, um, I mean you could always call Chuck Fletcher. <laughs> And here, but here's the problem. He's got yeah. no assets to give you back. Yeah. So and, that, and Kev- that cupboard's empty. And Kevin Fiala will get 12 million a year. So good for him. Right. <laughs> um, Detroit could be one because they've got assets, including picks and prospects. Um, you wonder if New Jersey who have really underperformed the last couple of seasons, do they go out and make a big splash? Um, Did the Islanders want to add depth behind Matthew Barzell? Um, just to name a few, um, it's interesting, right? Um, there's definitely some leverage out East, which is great. Um, yeah. And you kind of hope again, if you're the wild fan base or if you're GM, uh, Bill Guerin, that you don't have a lot of these pieces like Kadri, like Goudreau that make it far into free agency because you want to be able to effectively re- you know, have a bidding war for less supply effectively. Yeah. And again, just like the DeBrinket situation, um, you're just hoping to get the best return, knowing that all or none are going to work out. But at least you can say you got something in return. Um, and you then know, again, you know you can you flip it. You mentioned Western
0: Conference. There is one team that Minnesota has done dealings with in the past that maybe is a question mark. Actually, has the most uh, um, uh, most salary cap space of any team in the National Hockey League. That's actually the Anaheim Ducks. Um, Well, it's not the Arizona Coyotes. uh, It it is bizarre. It is not Arizona. is actually four. So you got
1: Anaheim, Detroit, Buffalo. I don't think in this day and age with the right. I mean, because Anaheim's got some good young players. They're still far and away from, I think, competing. But I don't think you want to give that team a boost either because you could eventually face them in a playoff role. Um, I think Bill Guerin will do whatever he can to make sure he goes across conference
0: lines. Yeah, but I also think he'll do whatever he can to maximize the return, knowing you're going to lose an RFA. So, and you have a little bit of leverage knowing he's an RFA in some senses. So, sure. and want and wants to get him moved before someone offers sheets him if possible. Correct. So um, also New Jersey, you mentioned Ottawa, has space, but you know how they work. The Kraken have space. The Preds actually have an okay amount of space, but Philip Forsberg, um, Columbus as well, um, throw LA in
1: there, and that's kind of about it. So I don't think he um, would send Fiala to Columbus only because I can't see Fiala wanting to go to Columbus because um, I think, again, trying to he, maximize he, your return. Yeah, he doesn't have a... I don't think he has a... There's no no trade clause. What I'm saying is y- you're trying to send him to place he wants to go play to.
0: Well, yeah, but at the end of the
1: day, Bill Guerin's going to do what has to be best for the wild. like that's, I get that. You know, but I'm but tr- that but in turn could be the best for the wild because if he's like, hey, New Jersey's called, you want to go? And he's like, yeah, 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 he's super excited to go. Yeah, that, that could get you a better return.
0: Yeah, just looking at the depth chart, I mean, there's not a whole lot of um, options that are exciting. I mean, Jack
1: Rosalick, maybe Eric Robinson, you know, it's Rosalick would be a good center pickup, but yeah. I don't, but they just extended him and I don't think columbus would want to give away another center right now all right so philip did from the kings okay sounds good there right go. perfect
0: um all right i i think that will do it for this episode of the husky's warming house podcast a very lengthy one but we are excited we should be back on uh, next sunday as well for a normal episode release for episode 117 uh other than that nick i don't think we have anything else so we're gonna bid it adieu uh for nick max and i'm noah grant and we will see you soon in the den <laughs>
1: One-timer, come in, they score! Ripped in! A bomb from yeah. So Dana Rasmussen fires and she scores! Dana Rasmussen for the Huskies. No. Dwayne Kaprizov in for a chance to win now 42.6 seconds away from wrapping up the school's first ever title.